Broadcasting live from an undisclosed location in the western foothills, you're listening to Open Ears, Maine. We want to hear your pandemic stories. To call in, dial area code 515-602-9747. That's 515-602-9747. The phone lines are now open. Have you ever asked a naturalized American how he or she feels about the business of voting? If you have, it's probably given you a whole new slant on the matter. To those men and women who were born in other countries, the right to vote is a precious privilege, and they line up before the voting booth on Election Day with the same high sense of pride and responsibility that one might feel upon being awarded some rare degree. Actually, the right to vote should give us all the same heady thrill. It is we, you and I, who determine the course of our country and the conditions of our own lives with those votes we cast on Election Day. Just one reminder, make sure your opinions will be counted. Make sure you cast your vote by being very sure to register. Registration days differ in varying localities. Check on the time in your community and get your name on the rolls. Then take advantage of all of America's media of communication for informing yourself on the issues involved. And then when Election Day comes, go to the polls with pride and responsibility and vote. Welcome to Episode 9 of Open Ears, Maine. It is Thursday, May 7th, 2020, a warm spring day. Warm enough for shorts, and wearing shorts again is very reassuring for me. Very comforting, strangely, in these odd pandemic times. I'm your host, Crashberry. Editor-at-large for Mainer, the magazine and website at MainerNews.com. By the way, have you listened to Devils and Dirtbags, my 13-part investigation of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Springfield, Massachusetts? If you're into true crime podcasts, you should definitely visit DevilsAndDirtbags.com to listen or download the show wherever you download. On today's Open Ears, Maine, we'll hear about Janet Mills' COVID testing announcement, plus breaking news about a cruise ship planning to tie up in Eastport for an extended stay. And we'll talk about the practically useless COVID-19 antibodies test with a Booth Bay Harbor man who paid 75 bucks for the darn thing. But first, the numbers. According to the state of Maine, there have been 1,330 confirmed cases of coronavirus, 62 Mainers have died from the virus, and 787 residents have recovered. The big COVID-related news of the day locally was Governor Janet Mills' announcement of a deal with IDEX, the animal health testing manufacturer headquartered in Westbrook, to triple Maine's coronavirus testing capability. Earlier today, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration granted IDEX emergency use authorization for IDEX's, quote, OptiSARS-CoV-2-RT-PCR laboratory test kit for the detection of COVID-19. And according to the governor, that means Maine will be able to conduct 5,000 additional tests per week for an indefinite period. If you add in Maine's CDC's current capacity of 2,000 tests a week, soon it's believed that anyone in Maine that wants to be tested would be able to have one. And the results and trends from the statewide testing, the governor says, will help shape Maine's reopening plan. And here's some breaking news from all the way down east from the port of Eastport on the border with Canada. It appears that the Eastport Port Authority has been in negotiations with the Oceana Cruise Line, a subsidiary of Norwegian Cruise Lines, to provide a berth for the 800-foot-long Riviera, a 1,250-passenger cruise ship registered in the Marshall Islands. According to the Center for Disease Control, there was at least one case of COVID-19 aboard the ship 
during its last cruise back in early March. If all goes according to the Port Authority's plan, the ship will tie up at the 400-foot-long breakwater pier uh, that's located in downtown Eastport, which is the state's easternmost city, located between Passamaquoddy Bay and Comscook Bay. But don't expect to see hordes of passengers flocking Water Street, downtown of Eastport, which is also Maine's smallest city, population 1,330. The ship's arrival and subsequent berthing are part of a global maritime shuffling of the large vessels that normally would be underway out to sea right now. However, due to the pandemic, the cruise industry obviously is shut down, although who in their right mind would book a cruise right now? I don't know. I wouldn't book a cruise, ever. But still, initially, the industry shutdown was supposed to be until May 14th. It's been extended until June 30th, and there's a chance it will be further extended. The ship, currently, according to the Port Authority, is anchored off the coast of Miami, Florida, and will set sail probably a three- or four-day voyage, arriving in Eastport after all safety arrangements have been made and the deal is sealed. The ship, apparently, will remain in Eastport for a, as-of-yet, undetermined period of time. A skeleton crew of about 100 sailors will be staying aboard the vessel during the downtime and that's the U.S. Coast Guard's minimum number required to work during the shutdown in order to keep the ship afloat. And the Coast Guard will issue stay-aboard orders to the crew, meaning liberty will not be granted, so no shore leave for the hundred sailors. And, the Port Authority says, all interactions with the vessel will be conducted via CDC and Coast Guard safety guidelines, and supposedly the ship will be purchasing supplies from local stores, so that's a bonus to the community. No word yet on how much the cruise company is paying for the privilege to tie up on Moose Island, but according to the Port Authority, the extra unexpected income is going directly to the First National Bank towards the debt for the $15 million breakwater built a couple years ago that replaced the previous breakwater when, on December 4th, back in 2014, the breakwater just suddenly collapsed. If you're curious to see the actual collapse of the old breakwater, you can find security camera footage by googling Eastport breakwater collapse, very strange collapse, in the early morning of December 4th, 2014. By the way, Eastport's famous 4th of July celebration where thousands and tens of thousands, who knows how many, many, many people flocked to the Washington County Island City to celebrate Independence Day. That has been canceled. However, the Port Authority said that if a miracle occurs and the 4th is magically uncanceled, the cruise company knows they'd have to head out to an anchorage to make room for whatever Navy ship decides to pay a port call, and just in case any of the quarantine sailors are tempted to try to jump ship and grab an egg sandwich at the Wacko Diner or a beer to go from the Happy Crab, they better not try. After all, Station Eastport of the United States Coast Guard is located at the head of the breakwater, where there is always a, a coastie or two standing watch at all times, in theory, during these strange times. Coming up, in another sign of the strange times, I've been a journalist reporting on Maine for over 25 years and never would have thought that testing negative for a virus would be worthy of discussion, but here we are in 2020, and we're about to talk to a Booth Bay Harbor man about town and his decision to be public about his and his wife's COVID-related tests, and we'll hear how the pandemic is impacting Lincoln County's tourism industry and canceling summertime fun. Stay tuned for a conversation 
with Daryl Goudreau. Millions in Europe and Asia are going hungry and facing actual starvation. Therefore, it's up to us, the best-fed nation in the world, to tighten our belts. We can share a meal and save a life. And here's how. Buy only as much bread and other wheat products as you really need. Use rice, fats, and oils sparingly. Don't waste any food. Turn in your used fats and oils at the food store promptly. Plant a garden and raise as much of your family's food as you can. You are saving food for those who desperately need it when you buy less, especially when you use up those leftovers. Welcome back to Open Ears, Maine. Joining us now is Daryl Goodrow, a resident of the Lincoln County town of Booth Bay Harbor. I wanted Daryl to come on the show because last week I saw a post of his on social media about being tested for the COVID-19 antibodies, and I was curious about why he was public about it. Daryl, first of all, why did you decide to get the test? Well, I decided to get the test because I'm a data collection kind of a person and, and wanted to know some results. Uh, I had read just uh, the day before in our local uh, newspaper that there was a, a local healthcare center that was offering testing, and uh, they made some claims about it that got me very excited. And uh, I woke up early the next morning and got in line to call them and, and uh, got their answering service and then called right after 8 o'clock to schedule an appointment. Uh, very excited about being able to find out a couple of things that they were claiming in, in their uh, article. One of the things they were claiming is if you were sick in December, or January, February, or March, and you're wondering if you have COVID-19, this test will provide you peace of mind. That was that was pretty exciting. There was another claim that caught me off guard a little bit, but, but seemed almost too good to be true, and maybe it is, but it says this test is more accurate than current tests available, and even some that are being developed. So with that, I decided I would call my doctor and uh, call, I would call this healthcare center and my doctor simultaneously and get myself one of these antibodies tests. So I could just find out if the way that I felt half the winter uh, and the way that a lot of my friends felt half the winter was possibly a result of an early case of the COVID-19 passing through our community. And uh, so the reason for my antibodies test initially started from an article I read that said it was going to going to answer a lot of questions that I had. What happened when you called your doctor? My doctor uh, said immediately, "Don't bother taking don't, don't bother taking this test." Uh, she suggested that there's not enough information out there that would lead to the results meaning really anything that we could trust. I pushed and said, but this article says these things and, and pushes for us to be taking these tests. And she, she indicated still and then gave me a lot of science as to why we aren't ready yet for these antibody tests and, and really what our, our risks are if we take them. Um, and she then also offered that she could give me a similar test from a different lab um, uh, at uh, half the cost of what I was willing to pay in town. And... So we were discussing the needs for my testing uh, for the antibodies. And that, that, interestingly enough, within the same 24-hour period, my wife ended up very symptomatic for what seemed to possibly be COVID-19, which came with cough and fever and chills and sweats. And, 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 and uh, so we, while speaking to the same doctor, uh, it was suggested that we go in and get her tested that day. Uh, it was rather obvious if she was going to, if we were going to go there together to get her tested for COVID, I may as well go ahead and have the blood drawn as it's just, just a simple blood draw. And for me, I think I paid 77 or $78 for, for the bit of data that I collected. So that was half um, price um, of what the, uh, the, the local health center was going to charge you, right? You're saying about, uh, that was like going to be $150 yeah. uh, for a test that makes claims attached to it. Uh, that your doctor, sounds like your doctor dissed those claims. Uh, what were the scientific reasons not to do the test? For one, the, the tests are not yet um, verified. And so having false information can lead us to doing things that we might not have done if we didn't feel safe. 
So to to so one reason her first reason to not take the test was is just simply a waste of money. The second reason, and and to her really the more important reason, um, but was that she didn't want people out there being misinformed and feeling some kind of false bravado. Uh, either they already had it, and therefore. Uh, with a positive antibodies test wouldn't be spreading it because they have passed the virus and are now on to having antibodies. Um, or as equally bad, somebody might get a negative antibodies test and say, see, whatever I was most recently doing wasn't risky. I can continue doing it. The test mm-hmm. for you for the antibodies was a, a blood test. Uh, was your wife tested for coronavirus? Was that a swab? Yeah, so, you know, before we took the test, we we had, my wife did have the option of just quarantining for 14 days, but understood if she was quarantining for 14 days, that meant the whole household was, and we could shorten up that time by taking a test. Uh, She really did not want to have a swab put up her nose. She had seen some examples of it happening. We actually, while being tested, recorded it, and I have put out an edited version of that test, and uh, it, it makes my eyes water just to watch it. Um, but so she took the she took the the very painful swab test, and uh, I took the not so painful, a little bit difficult to administer while sitting in a vehicle blood test. What were her symptoms that uh, caused you worry? Well, the symptoms were the the cough that she woke up with in in the morning. Um, that was that that was my concern because that was the first I had noticed anything being an issue. She had gone to bed thinking she was you know having a little bit of trouble breathing, but not enough to mention. And around three o'clock in the morning, woke up with the the cold sweats, you know, cold hot, cold, hot, sweating, cold type of a deal. And uh, so between the, and then, and then first thing we did when she woke up and we went downstairs was tested the temperature. And so she had a temperature, she had a cough, she had a little bit of difficulty breathing and she had fever sweats. So those are enough symptoms to say, let's go get tested. You're also very public about the fact you're going to get tested and you live in a small town. Booth Bay Arbor is probably what, 2,500 people. Uh, why did you decide to be public about it? Well, I am a, a generally fairly public figure in our community. Uh, I'm I'm pretty vocal and I'm pretty comfortable about my standing in the community and didn't really worry too much uh, a, a, about what might be said or what concerns might be out there. But they happened anyway. There there were a couple of rumors. Uh, of concerns, you know, some, some people I'd been in contact with that now, you know, and they were senior and they were concerned that maybe if I was being tested, the only reason I was being tested was because we were certain we were positive. So we were, we, we decided to go public with it because we've been so public communicating with everybody up to this point. And uh, I wanted people to know that getting tested wasn't all that scary and you could be public about it and, and there wouldn't be enough backlash to make it not worth it. In fact, the more people know, the more comfortable they seem to be. And there, there was lots of conversations going on around town about, well, we think this person had it or we thought that person had it. So I didn't want to be part of the that rumor mill. I decided to you know, make it very public ourselves that we were being tested. And I also shared that my my test was nearly pointless while hers was a very important test to be taken. There was still lots of gossip about your tests. It seems like some people in the town uh, claimed to know the results before you did, actually. Uh, what happened there? Well, it was a uh, it was one of those rumor mill deals where it was uh, a, a, another vendor at a similar customer of mine that, you know, had been in a meeting with us and then had read our stuff on Facebook. And at some point, somebody suggested that they might want to be careful because I, uh, my wife had tested positive, uh, and it was one whole day before we got our test results back. So I was uh, I, I a little bit jokingly commented about that on Facebook, about how, how quickly uh, rumors fly around town as well as test results. I understand there are lots of uh, false positives with the antibody tests, but you came back negative. So were you surprised by that? So I have not seen uh, in our community anyone else yet say that they tested positive for the antibodies. The folks in our community are taking a different test than I am, but I know I know there was a line of cars waiting to to be tested on Tuesday, and nobody has come out in any in any manner and, and, and bragged or stated that they had tested positive for the antibodies, which which might be something you would really want to 
you would want to get out there because that means you're now safe and, and, and you're, 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 in, you're in good shape. I had expected that because the test warns that if you had many other uh, versions of a coronavirus and SARS, there's a high likelihood of you getting a false positive. I had intended, I had expected to get a, a positive that I would have to defend as being false because there would be no way of really testing that it was a, a positive positive as opposed to a false one. And uh, so I, I prepared myself for answering that question. And then uh, when it came back negative, I was shocked and, and had to realize that probably a lot of other people will get these tests and come back negative. And, and I now had to, to start preparing my own narrative for why they are maybe not as safe as they think that they are. I know I'm no more safe with a negative antibodies tests. Uh, our uh, main CDC director, Dr. Shaw, two days ago came out and, and explained a bit candidly that if, you, if all of the stars aligned and all of the dates were perfect and, and the number of days from sickness to health to how long ago you had it to the test being taken, if everything aligned perfectly and you took the best test that exists, your odds were 50-50. Why would you take a test that you would flip a coin to get the same results for and pay 150 or 75 or any number of dollars uh, for this test? I did, I, it reminds me, as I just now say, the two different prices of these tests. The one in Booth Bay at Harbor at the health center isn't just twice as much arbitrarily. They do actually test for more things. Unfortunately, those more things that they test for, if they were to test positive, wouldn't mean uh, a, a, a guaranteed positive result. You'd have to then have the swab test anyway. The swab test cost as much as the add-on to the price of the test. So my question to them was, why wouldn't I just get the first test for the antibodies for $75 and the second test for another $75 for a swab test for COVID versus paying $150 just so I could back it up with another $75 test? You talk about these two different narratives that you were constructing in your head if you had been tested positive versus negative. Could we just revisit that for a second? What was the positive, if there was a positive test result, what was your narrative going to be? Well, I just wanted to warn people that if I tested positive, that that didn't mean I had already had the antibodies. And that wouldn't, that would, it would also mean that if they had come in contact with me, and we all were as equally sick back in December or January, that they shouldn't feel like I, if I tested positive, they would also, except that we might both test positive for a different version, a, a, a former cold. And so my, my narrative, my discussion in my head was how do I, you know, how do I convince people that my positive test doesn't mean definitively in any way that I had COVID and now I'm not susceptible to it again, which we're not sure about, or susceptible to the, the a mutated version of it. So the not susceptible thing, that's kind of like a false sense of security that a lot of people seem to have is that if you tested positive for the antibodies that you wouldn't be able to catch it again or spread it? Is that what the perspective is? I can say that there, you know, I, I do scan Facebook a whole bunch and read people's posts. And I, I know of one person that had maybe been somewhere risky over the weekend, uh, had planned to quarantine, but then their test results for the antibodies came back negative, And they now, instead of quarantining, are sharing posts of the new places that they're going. So I feel like there is a very risky, uh, a very risky chance there that people are going to test negative and feel like they are now secure to go and roam the world. Gotcha. And it's a 50-50 chance that the test is bunk anyways. Um, your wife got the swab. She came back negative as well? Yes. How did that make you feel? Well, you know, I... I had put bets out and odds out that she was going to test negative and I was going to test positive, again, positive for some antibodies. And uh, so we were elated that she came back negative, even though that was what I was certain was going to be. Uh, and uh, I, But for her, she didn't feel that she was definitely going to test um, negative. Her her doctor, after seeing her, suggested that you know she, she was 
likely to test positive given all of the symptoms and how quickly they came on. Um, and after the day two, when we were still at home and waiting for the results to come in, she had felt a bit worse and, and that had caused her to feel like maybe these results were going to be positive. Uh, and, and it was, for her, it was very scary. I imagine. Uh, but in terms of your community, you're this man about town, you're involved in all sorts of activities. You're also a tech guy. You have a, a audiovisual equipment that gets used in town meetings, things like that. I mean, if you had uh, tested positive for COVID, I mean, you could have possibly infected a lot of people in town. So that might be worrisome for the people down in Booth Bay. Well, it would be, but you know, this is this is bound to happen. Somebody's going to be the one to bring it into a community, and it's. You know, if it was if it was done as unknowingly as it would have been if it had been done back in January or February, then you know people around here, I believe, I fully believe, would be very uh, forgiving of that. It would be a lot different if I were not being super careful now and hadn't been super careful since uh, we were we had reason to be worried about COVID. That if I had still been out delivering that sound equipment and not being careful and reinfected or infected our town then I guess I should maybe expect that my carelessness would, would not be as forgiven. Any response from the gossipers who had said that you had tested positive uh, when you came out with a negative test? I intended not to call them out on it. In fact, I intended not even really to find the source of, of where, where it originated, but it, it, it accidentally revealed itself through another, through another conversation. And uh, mostly I, I, I don't feel any ill will towards the, the gossiping. I, I, the only thing I feel is I feel bad for them for the amount of worry that they had because, uh, because everybody is a lot scared right now. And, and these were senior people that would be high risk. And, uh, and so it's almost, you know, they, maybe the message that was delivered to them is, Hey, he's being tested. Not, you know, we think that they have it, but I, I think it's fair in a small community like this when nobody knows anything for, for people to, to gossip. I just wish that they would be a little more careful in their gossiping. Um, I was happy and that the, 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 that I am so public about everything that many people were able to point at what I've shown and shared and say, see, this is where your gossip went wrong. He shared his test results. He clearly is, is safe. We yeah. were talking about how this antibody test is uh, possibly worthless or 50-50 chance. Now, after taking the test and getting the results, how do you view the test and the results and the whole process that you went through? It was only a data collection exercise. It would be irresponsible for me to treat the result that I received as anything different than a coin toss today. In a week or in a month, we may know a lot more about this virus, and I felt it worth the $75 and a, and a needle to the arm to collect this data now so I might be able to use it later when we have a chance to really sit down and understand the virus. Testing, obviously, is going to be a, a very important tool in the toolbox of dealing with COVID-19. How should Maine's ability to test for the disease impact the reopening plans? As much as I really wish we were opening today uh, and, and ready to run at 100%, I feel it is in no way responsible to be opening until we have tests that we can accurately see what the effect of our opening is. So what's the chatter in Booth Bay Harbor about summer being canceled? Summer has been canceled in our town effectively in any, any resemblance of what summer used to be in Booth Bay Harbor is gone for this summer. I think where everybody's taking a chance to look at how they can operate differently, operate more efficiently. And, um, and mostly everybody is still really, I think, looking for answers that don't exist and hoping that our state will give them answers that I don't think are possible to be given just yet. What's the response to the, the governor's actions during the crisis? What, how are you viewing her and what are you hearing from those on the streets of Booth Bay Harbor? Well, I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't think that it's fair to, to be over judgmental of people in a time when you have nothing to compare 
uh, they're act what they've done to. We've we've never been through this before. We can't compare how they're acting now and 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 reacting now to things that we've done in the past. So I'm still I'm still reserving judgment. Um, our community, there are a lot of uh, business owners in our community that are are well. We are a seasonal community, and so they weren't open yet. This is the time of year when they begin to open, and I think they're just most most of them are upset that they have no direction. Uh, they they are looking for a firm date on what they can actually count on and say I can open on this day, because when they open on on uh, on a given day, that means they put weeks worth of effort into their pre-opening. When you close a place for the winter, it takes a lot of work. When you reopen it for the summer, it takes the same or even more work because you have to clean up as well. So we have hotels, we have restaurants that are idly sitting by, not really sure how they should be prepared. They don't really have staff on hand to be prepared the day that they do open. And so I think mostly people here in our community are just are, are upset that the answers come very last minute. Some questions have already been answered, such as Windjammer Days. I understand that's been canceled. That's a week-long celebration. That's a, a pretty big festival for you guys. What's the response to Windjammer Days being canceled? Well, I'm on the Windjammer Committee. Uh, so I have a little inside knowledge on that. We met a month ago and discussed in, in, in all of our individual committees, what could our committee, our subcommittee do to, to be able to put on the part of our event that happens during whatever day of the week our event happens on in some manner that we could do it in a socially distancing safe way. And so we have things such as a tug of war that's done across the harbor, uh, the lines next to the footbridge. And we decided, well, we could do that. We would film it. We would have, you know, it, it, just the people there. We would cut down the number of pullers and we would be able to, 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 to pull that off. We would have all the, you know, what, there are a few tall ships that are coming into our town that week anyway. They're on schedule and they'll be here anyway. So we discussed, you know, limiting it to just filming those few ships coming in. You know, we don't get to do all of the things that we would normally do, but we, we discussed trying to put on some kind of a celebration. Um, and then when, you know, when the administration pretty much said that's not going to be acceptable, we, we decided not to continue to put more and more work into it, the year's worth of work we've already, you know, efforted to, to rebuild something. And so we, we unfortunately made the hard decision to just cancel it altogether. But before canceling it, we really did put a lot of effort into seeing if we could have a mini version of it, just so that we could have some semblance of normalcy. Well, across the state, communities have been dealing with this. I've heard tell that East Force, 4th of July, a major celebration canceled. In Rockland, Lobster Fest canceled. All across Maine, we're, we're seeing like a year's worth of work and planning kind of disappear in front of our very eyes. You mentioned the tall ships coming into Booth Bay. What are the tall ships coming for? It's their route. And so they're, they're going to be making their way. Uh, and I'm not on that subcommittee, so I don't know which ports they travel to and which ones they've decided to skip over this year. But they already have a, a pattern that they're planning to travel in, maybe some other events that they have aligned with Windjammers so that they're here for one of them. And then a week later, they're a little further north. So some of the some and, and some of the ships that come in, they're they're private and they're just coming anyway. So they're they're still they, I, I saw their comments on our, our Windjammer page. They said they're still coming. And I think actually another ship said he was going to redirect himself here just because he had nowhere else to go anyway. Which leads to my next question. Are there any COVID-19 applicable rules for the closing of the harbor or moorings or slips for rent? Any word on that from the harbor master? No, I, uh, I I was in a, a different committee meeting in town uh, that we zoomed into the other night, and uh, and I was generally asking uh, many of the select board members from my town and the next town over, sort of what the select board members in our local municipalities have done so far to prepare, whether they've looked at their budgets to to cut things out of them. Uh, whether they've added anything to their budgets for for emergency funding and the the general answer that I got back is that they're still waiting on on direction from above they they still aren't quite sure what to do, so I think they're waiting on on the state to tell them what's the best way to react, including on how the harbor master should react right It would seem you know just from a, an observer's perspective 
we know that the people cruising up and down the main coast during the summertime on these really nice yachts and sailboats are often from away. So they wouldn't be able to do the 14-day quarantine. It just adds another level of complexity on how to deal with the, the crisis. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, we, we also in the last couple of years have had small cruise ships, but cruise ships coming into our town and they, they unload for a couple of hours, get on buses, travel around and, and go to the botanical gardens or they go to uh, spend a few hours in town shopping and uh, some may even get in a chance to go golfing. So they, they have canceled those cruises for the year, logically. Um, and so I, and, and, you know, the other side of it that we haven't hit on at all is that our town is mostly, uh, employs J1 visas for restaurants and hotels and landscaping. And, uh, most of our businesses down here have some form of a J1 person that they've either hired directly or that has been hired by another company and they've, they've looked for, you know, second, third and fourth jobs. So we, our workforce here in, in the region, is going to be super minimized this year and and it will be reflected i guess in in the the number of people that can even come here and so it's, i guess if you don't have the guests you don't need the employees but you you can't have one without the other are there teenagers in the booth bay harbor region that will be able to fill those hospitality jobs that the foreign workers won't be able to do this year well we do have a high school here in town it is uh I, I haven't really looked in the last couple of years, but our, our average graduating class is, is definitely far under 50 and sometimes is maybe as low as 25 or so. Um, so we, we have some, some kids here. Uh, there are, you know, uh, some college kids that have come back to quarantine with their families and maybe aren't sure what they're going to do for the summer. So I, I think that the needs will be met. And I think that, you know, that maybe there's a silver lining that there'll be a, a bunch of teenagers that will, will be able to find work this year because there won't be uh, J1 visas that are overly eager to work and, and, and in some cases work a lot harder than the, the teenagers do when they uh, get their jobs. So there, there may be a silver lining to, to some teenagers getting jobs in town. I can say that my son is uh, 16 years old and um, worked a summer job last year, was going to do it this year as uh, a kayak rental place. I don't think they'll be renting many kayaks this summer. And so he has gone to our local Hannaford. They're, they're desperate for employees. They're eager to hire younger people that are happy to, to be doing the work. And, um, and, you know, being a tourist town, they actually give them a couple dollar raise in the summer to, to keep them employed. I think there's been a lot of focus on Hannaford and Shaw's, how they've instituted physical and social distancing within the store for the customers. But I'm more curious about how do you think Hannaford's is doing in terms of protecting the workers and worker safety? Well, I can only speak to the one here in my local town, and I'll speak, to, and I'll also recognize that I think ours is doing better than a lot have. Um, what it did to protect its employees was it was one of the first ones that I know of that had all of its shields, had the, the cashier shields up first. Ours have now added uh, the plexi shield for the bagger as well. We had the six foot spacing in place very early on when we were only allowed. Before they came up with the one-way aisles, we were only allowing 15 people into the store. I think there was a change at, at one point that allowed them to have as many as 75, and they thought it better to keep it closer to 45. And so they've been maintaining um, a 45 count in the store. Sometimes it goes a little higher or lower, but they're never anywhere near risk of hitting the 75 mark. Um, every time I've gone there, uh, the, 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 the carts are being cleaned and washed. There's always a, a large stack of ones that are clean. And um, the employees that worked there, that work and worked there, uh, have, have told me how much more comfortable they feel that there are now one-way aisles, that people aren't coming from all directions, that there's a limited number of people in the store. And it was all of those comments from their existing employees saying how much better it had gotten that made us comfortable with allowing our 16-year-old to, to put himself in harm's way. I imagine there's a little bit of worry as a parent, him working there. Do you think he understands how serious it is? He does. And actually, he, he really impressed me when we, were, when we were ready to have our tests done and had our tests done and we're waiting for them. 
he wanted to call in and, and speak to his uh, employer about whether he should be there or not. When he got to the, the first person that suggested it would probably be okay if he came in because uh, he would be wearing his mask and would you know use the gloves and have sanitizer there, he, he pushed it hard enough to say, well, I think maybe I need to go further up and just make sure that they really are comfortable with me being there. When he talked with the, the manager, the manager agreed with him that uh, if, if he didn't feel at all comfortable that he would be able to maintain being safe and clean, then they were very happy to have him stay home until he was comfortable with that. They didn't want to put the stress on him that he would be extra stressed while they're bagging that he was going to be infecting somebody else. So I was impressed with him for recognizing that he shouldn't be there. And I was impressed with them for recognizing that if he wasn't comfortable, he shouldn't be there. When we were kids and working our first jobs, we didn't have to worry about things like this. So I think it's going to have a pretty dramatic impact on this you know, millennial or whatever generation we have right now, maybe adding to their maturity levels a little bit. I think it is. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed at how well most of them are taking it. In fact, I see a lot of adults acting far worse than uh, the, the teenagers I've seen uh, in and around my town and, and, and on Facebook. Um, I think the teenagers are actually handling this a lot better than some of the parents are. <laughs> Has there been any rumors of anyone going against the state of emergency rules, such as uh, Rick Savage with Sunday River Brewing uh, in Bethel did? Is there any local talk of something like that happening? No, we actually have, you know, as, as angry and upset as many of them are, they also are, are, are business owners that are being smart about what they're doing. They, they know in a small community like this that you wouldn't want to do that and have half the community mad at you. Um, and so, so for that reason, maybe they aren't. Um, for the uncertainty, maybe they aren't. I can think of one business owner that um, it has a gripe um, because she is a, a, a does does nails, and and isn't able to open under the the existing policy for mills without having an, an exemption, which she's applied for. But you know, in, in her case, she's got a, a a small little office that one person at a time would come in. They would have a plexiglass between them. They would sanitize their hands before they started, and they would wear masks. And so she's saying, how is my business any more dangerous than many or, or any of these other businesses? And, and I tend to agree with her. So I think that uh, there'll be a few customer, a few, few companies in town that find ways to look for exemptions. And, and I hope that they get them because that means that they, they did what they should have done. Referencing uh, Rick Savage, I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of people protesting their rights. I really wished that he had set some spacing outside, and when he realized it was getting out of control, he would have gone out and asked the customers that were being loyal to him to also provide the same kind of safety and distancing outside that he was preparing for them to have inside. I think if they had put just that little extra effort in, then they could have actually been a success. Uh, even if the state went after them, I think they would have had a lot of people backing them for saying, look, you, you did everything as best as you could, and, and they still weren't allowing you to open. My, uh, so I would, I would be behind somebody, even if they were in my community in my town, if they opened up in that manner and you couldn't point, point the finger at them and say, look at the ways you're failing at, at protecting your, your customers and us. Are you aware of anyone from your town going to the Sunday River Brewing Company? Yes, unfortunately, there were four that I know of that uh, traveled together um, who were not, you know, separately quarantined together uh, previously. And so they, they, they broke any kind of uh, separation by traveling there together and then taking photos arm in arm and, and uh, or nearly cheek to cheek. Um, these are respected members of our community. They are uh, people that are facing public a lot of times. They are um, people that I, I know one of them maybe even gives rides to some seniors when they need it under these circumstances. And so they, they took a little bit of heat for it. One of them has had their antibodies test and they did come back negative. I do believe their test was taken last week and, and they were there this weekend. So the antibodies test, even if it was perfect, tells them nothing because they were negative for the antibodies and they may have now contracted the virus and need to start all over again.
Have you spoken to any of those people that went? I have. And uh, they they gave their justifications for it. I basically answered them the same way I did with you, that uh, had they gone there and not taken photos arm in arm with each other, had they worn masks, had they, had they done anything to show they weren't doing this as a full protest, then they would have been, then I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have been as let down by their actions. And, you know, in one case, I, I, I went to bed uh, with the final post for the night saying that I had lost respect for one of them. And so first thing the next morning, uh, we, we had a, a, a chat and, uh, and it was that she was willing to reach out to me that I had respect for her in the first place. And I still have respect for her. I just am a little frustrated with uh, their version of a protest. Especially bringing it to a kind of insulated peninsula community like Booth Bay Harbor. Um, lots of summer people and snowbirds coming back to Maine, to your neck of the woods especially. Are you seeing people quarantining? Yes. Uh, I have a couple of you know a couple of stories where I had one customer that came from Jersey specifically because he was scared of being in Jersey. And he knew that when he came to Maine, people were going to not be happy that they left Jersey and came to Maine. Um, but he had some technical needs when he got here. He called me and uh, we were able to, to separately quarantine while I was at their house. They'd never been in their basement yet, so I kept them out of it. I was able to take care of the work that was needed to be done in the basement. We waited another two weeks uh, before I went. Actually, it ended up being four weeks before I went back. But we, we waited at least two weeks before going back and, and finishing the work so that I knew they were here for 14 days. I didn't leave them without their technology, but I was able to do it safely and, and in a quarantined manner. And then I have my wonderful neighbors that live across the street from me that are, uh, they moved here from New York about a year ago and unfortunately still have that bright orange New York license plate on their on their truck. They left near the beginning of this all happening and before any kind of quarantining was starting. And they went to Florida for 14 days and the day they arrived, they were told they had to quarantine for three weeks, which is more strict than anything we're doing here in Maine. And they adhered to it. And they stayed there for three weeks. And then they came to Maine. And as soon as they rolled through the border, seeing that they had to be quarantined for two weeks, they were prepared for that. And they pulled into their driveway. I went outside and from across the road said, whatever it is that you guys need so you can quarantine for 14 days, you create a list and I'll go buy it for you. They, they literally only needed milk, bread, seltzer, and club. Do you think uh, locals are worried about people from away coming? Yes. We had, you know, over a month ago, we had discussions going on in town where they talked about maybe uh, not turning on town water on the normal date so that people couldn't come to their homes and have water. Therefore, they couldn't come to their homes. It was a discussion and it didn't go real far. Uh, and it may not have gone real far because of how many people pointed out how wrong that would be. But that was the kind of fear that was driven by people saying, how do we keep people from coming back to our town or coming to our town? That would have been a very interesting tactic to shut the water off. I mean, it's just so weird how, you know, some Mainers hate tourists and some love them, but in, in a way, we're all very dependent upon them, especially in uh, towns like yours. One final question. In addition to being a very active community member, Booth Bay, Booth Bay Harbor, you're also known as a fellow with a pretty amazing beard. Daryl, I've always liked your beard. How long is your beard? It's just a little over a foot long most times. I think right now, if I stretch it out, I'm probably around 18 inches to the longest hairs down. So you haven't trimmed at all. Any worries about the beard being a COVID catcher or a germ magnet? Well, it is those things. It always was those things. Um, I, I am being as careful as I can be in places. I tuck my beard in when I go uh, out in public. The, the biggest concern I have really with it is how difficult it makes for a mask to be uh, on my face. So I've, I've gone out and, and made sure to acquire much larger masks that actually go down over my beard. And so I, I'm, I'm wearing a, a, a version of a ski mask that's a little bit warmer than I would prefer. But I actually most times am able to keep my beard under, under cloth. Uh, I, I did a bunch of days ago record kind of a funny little video where I was trying to put a mask on, intentionally failing at it, slid my glasses up over my beard, tossed the hat on, and used the beard as my mask. 
<laughs> That's good to know that you're thinking about masks. Uh, if you did have to wear an actual mask, in all seriousness here, with you know quarantines or somebody in the family exposed, in order to get a good seal on a, on a mask, you'd have to cut that beard off. When's the last time you've been clean shaven? Uh, it has been probably four years. I, I, I had grown it out to the length that it is now left it there for a year and a half and and believe it or not my wife hates my beard and so i, I shaved it off one year for her and uh down to nothing about four years ago and uh i just didn't love it not being there and so it's grown back and it, it stayed there ever since then but in, in in all of that seriousness if i need to shave my beard off it will grow back and uh it might make me look different for a while but i've already shaved my head because i couldn't get to the hairdressers Every day, as the war against Japan increases in intensity, the need for waste, fats, and greases grows more critical. Here's one department where the enemy may be superior unless you help make up the difference from your kitchens. Save all waste, fats, and greases, no matter how discolored. Keep a clean can in which to strain them and take them regularly to your butcher. Remember, for every pound, he'll give you four cents plus two extra meat points. We want to hear your pandemic stories. Email me at crash at crashberry.com. Are you reopening a stage one business? Let me know. Are you an employee of a stage one business? How do you feel about going back to work? Or are you an essential worker with a COVID-19 tail? We want to hear it. We're also taking tips on helpers, heroes, and bad actors trying to wreak havoc during the trials and tribulations of 2020, the email is crash at crashberry.com. 